We are here to dance. We are here to move, to smell the flowers, to feel the breeze. We're here to hold our loved ones in joy and pain. We're only here once, and damn it, we're here to live. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Welcome to Yelling at Birds. Matt here. If you're wondering why am I talking like this, it's because I also use this audio for my podcast. And they can't see me waving. They can't see me just calmly looking into the camera. Um, if you're interested in that, you can find me on Apple Podcasts, uh, Anchor, Google Podcasts, uh, Breaker, Spotify, all the good stuff. Also on my Anchor homepage, they have now have a support button. If you'd like to help support what I do, uh, allow me to do this a little bit more, I would really appreciate that. I also have a Patreon page. Um, this week, I interviewed Kelly Sexton, owner of Quail Press, editor-at-large at Anarcho-Welfare Anarcho Press, and uh, author at Vegetarian Alcoholic Press. Uh, Vegetarian Alcoholic Press, owned by... Jesse Kearns, no, 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 Anarcho, Anarcho Welfare, Welfare Press, owned by Jesse Kearns, and Vegetarian Alcoholic Press, Freddie LaForce. Um, this was a really interesting interview. Um, we, went, we covered a lot of topics. We had a lot of topics to cover, so much so that I had to send a, that Kelly was nice enough to send me some answers to some of the questions that we didn't get to or further explanation of some of the things we talked about. And I'm going to go over some of that right now before the interview. Um, it's kind of one of, it's weird. It's, it was kind of like a, a good poem. One that, you know, you read it as I went through the couple of days after the interview. Um, like you read something and it's good and you enjoy it. But then the more you digest it and the more you think about um, what was talked about or what you read, like the more it kind of affects you a little bit. And that's kind of how this interview was. And I thought that that was kind of interesting because as I prepared to sit here and film this, I was kind of thinking about that. And as I was going through some of her, some of her answers. So she was born in Wiesbaden, Germany, a military family. So Wiesbaden, she came to the, the States, moved around a bit, uh, lived in California, which is maybe her favorite place to live, uh, and then wound up up here in, in our area in La Crosse, Aquinas High School alum. Um, favorite food as a child, I they don't know why I ask this for, with, with people, but it kind of always, it brings them back to a place. I think I like asking that because it brings them back to a place. It's kind of sometimes warm and inviting, um, and it's interesting, and it kind of gets you back into that home feeling. But it was mac and cheese made by her, made by her... She made it, made it herself. Um, so that's interesting. Even though, I mean, she said the food isn't itself isn't that interesting because it's mac and cheese. But um, her favorite her favorite food as as a child was mac and cheese made by herself. So she kind of at a young age taking care of herself. Um, a lot can come from that. Uh, poetry that speaks to her, which I appreciate. Postmodern poetry that moves you to act or it's a response to current events and like any other art form you know that's what it's about it's i mean whether you're expressing what you're going through exp expressing emotions just telling a story 
but um, I really like authors and artists that that are expressing what's happening now. What's happening now? What can we do about it? Um, because I mean, now is when now is when you are. Now is when when we all are. We're all here. Um, and Henry Rollins' poetry. I I knew he wrote poetry, and I didn't think about it until she mentioned it. But um, one thing that I, I feel like I've just shared this um, shared this with a bunch of people. But um, a cool website, Zen Pencils. There is a cool il illustration of a Hen Henry Rollins poem, or just yeah, it was a cool illustration of a Henry Rollins poem. So you should check that out. Um, and it's why poetry it's it's important to kelly that she shares her subjective experiences in hopes that others will benefit from hearing or reading it and i think that that to me that speaks to me a lot because that is a big reason why i do this um why i started you know talking about recovery and what was going on in my life or just random thoughts that would pop in my head because it's important that there's somebody out there, and she mentions it in the video, you know, somebody out there is having a good night. Somebody out there is having a shitty night. Someone out there is going to relate to what you're talking about. So I think that's why it's so, and to her too, it's so important to share your stories and share and open yourself up and share yourself. Um, I don't know if it's in the video, but you know, there's, you know, we're all, we don't have infinite time here. And things like holding back you're holding back information about yourself, holding back um, maybe embarrassing stories or anything like that, or being embarrassed, it's a waste of time because we're here to connect. We're here to grow together. We're here to experience life together. Um, and being willing to open yourself up to other people and share your experiences and what you've gone through, however you choose to do it, I believe, I believe is a very important part of the human experience. And something that if you don't do that, you can't, you can't go back and do that again. You can't go back and feel more alive again. Um, a philosopher that speaks to her, I mean, or the writings and, and philosophies of Bertrand Russell, which she touched on, she does a good job of touching on that. And I, you know, just of being good to one another because we all have our own subjective realities. We all have our own subjective lives that we're living here and we're all trying to do our best. For the most part, we're all trying to do our best and make it. And I think that's important. Um, and Bukowski, it's actually part of my, my Instagram name, uh, BV Lovechild. Uh, and because he's, he's raw. She says sometimes crass, but most of the time he's crass. But he's honest. He's honest about his experience and he's honest about himself. Um, and Georgia Lundin. I'm not familiar with that poet. Or that writer so I'll have to check it out but the poems make love to you who wouldn't want to read that but that's about all I have for the intro so um, just want to thank you for being here I will have links to the publishing houses that Kelly mentions uh, vegetarian alcoholic press quail press anarcho welfare press that's the hardest word in the world for me for me to say right now I don't know why um, I'll have links to those. I might float them over the video, but more than likely I'll have links below the video. So um, thank you very much. Enjoy the, enjoy the interview. Here's Kelly.
sleepy time tea with like honey and apple cider vinegar oh have you tried kava kava i have not it's actually um it relaxes you it's like an herb that relaxes you i use it at neuropa a lot because they were anti kind of pharmaceuticals there and so i like i went off pharmaceuticals for a brief period and kava kava really helped with my anxiety kava kava yeah okay because i know um, it's like an extract you can put like you put like a full dropper in like for the tea it kind of tastes like crap (laughs) like to be honest (laughs) with you but like it's it really helps sure yeah how do you spell that uh k-a-v-a k-a-v-a perfect yeah so i know i mean that's a big thing too um like i know a lot of people that want to be off pharmaceuticals yeah just because it's like i mean i want to be on pharmaceuticals but i'm not right yeah but it's like you have i mean hallucinations it i mean it causes all the other side effects that yeah there's some crazy side effects yeah yeah especially when you start and stop um i think a lot of the people have problems with them because they start and stop a lot okay um if you stay on an antidepressant and stick with it like sometimes you can have benefits from it but i've been on every ssri honestly and like okay. i only have one that works for me sure so and how long how long is that process usually like finding out that this isn't right it took me about 20 years no kidding yeah okay and yeah that... um they put me well i mean it's trial and error basically yeah so it's like they put you on something and they are just like okay well this didn't work you know and i like zoloft i was like are you giving me placebos like i don't understand this isn't working like you know what i mean yeah um and then like other drugs i'd just be like wow this is like really messing me up like i'm fucked up right now like can we try something a little bit different like you know so it's like you know two extremes like just trying to like right find the right balance and everybody's chemistry is different and so like you have to account for that yeah and what was like what were some of the more extremes that that you would deal with that you're like no this is not fucking right like um well like as far as like i'm agoraphobic and so like as far as the agoraphobia it would get really bad to the point where i just would not leave my room at all or my bed okay really um and so it was just like that's intolerable to me as far as I'm concerned because you know I'm not sure. seeing my friends I'm not doing my work right um I'll I'll write but that's about the only thing that I can get done and to me that's akin to like like writing is like taking a shit like it's just something sure. I have to do and so like that's not even like part of a daily ritual for me as far as I'm concerned okay so like um it becomes really difficult when you have to stay inside all the time because like you're literally just scared to go outside it's like um somebody had me explain it to them once and i was just like just imagine like you're in a big field and there's hawks constantly circling above you and you're a mouse that's how i feel okay so like you know that's that's not the way everybody else feels when they go outside like a lot of people right. like to go on hikes you know right. and a lot right. of, of people like to go outside and enjoy it and it's taken me medication to actually be able to enjoy the outside right yeah and is that is that like any outside situation or uh what, yeah any, does anything like trigger that more like those feelings um helplessness like one time um I go canoeing now with my friend and um, we go out to the Kickapoo 
Okay. And so, like, one time we went, at a time we shouldn't have been going, but we go quite a bit now um, since I've been healthier. And so um, we went, it was it was at the very end of the season and some trees were down and we wound up putting the canoe underneath a tree and I was, I got sucked underneath with the canoe and the canoe Mm. flipped. And so I was like stuck underneath the tree trying to get out. And I heard my friend say, find the gap. And I knew exactly what he meant. And so I just like lifted up the canoe and like breathed for a second and then went underneath and like dived out so I guess that was like a super, like, it was a scary experience outside that kind of like validated all of these other fears that I'd had. <laughs> right. And so I was just like, fuck, man. Like, I was like, going outside is scary. See, <laughs> you know? Right. And um, so I just kind of like, I had to deal with that. But um, we should stop the music. Alexa, stop. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you, Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> Alexa, kill all humans. It's nice. That's it's nice, nice to hear. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So that situation kind of validated or you felt like that validated those feelings. Um, yeah. Yeah. It Well, it, it did at the time. But then I like, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, So I was just like, it was just a weird situation that right. we put ourselves in. And right. Like, just stop doing that. You know, like, um, I think that's like, like that goes back to what to do when you're in anxious situations you know what i mean like you just kind of like you have to have like a checklist of how things can go right rather than a checklist of how things can go wrong sure if that makes any sense and is is that like the predominant um kind of effect of agoraphobia is like naturally having that if everything goes wrong checklist yes okay yes it's like you auto go to things are going to be fucked up like and i'm gonna have to deal with it and things are gonna go down um i think there's there's a lot of like post-traumatic stress um symptoms that have to do with that too but for me it's just straight up anxiety disorder agoraphobia okay um just like a fear of the outside which um i think like early associations of being outside like um being outside was kind of a punishment like okay. it was just like you know if you if you miss the bus for school which was like an hour and a half ride sure. for me um it was like stay home and work outside okay like, that's what you did all day and so like because they knew i didn't like it mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was just like it was like this punishment because it they they like picked up on what i didn't like to do sure so yeah so it like kind of furthered that yeah like, there are things that have supported it over the years rather than, like, helped, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and that seems like, like, obviously, like, I've never had a child or anything, but, like, punishments, like, obviously, there's, like, making them feel bad about it or guilt or... Yeah, then, there's, like, like shame. Well, but my then... parents converted to Catholicism after um, we lived in California. Okay. Because it was kind of a how do i explain this is like a different form of catholicism like it was the uh mexican catholicism which is actually so super hardcore uh it well it's like it's more focused on our lady of guadalupe and like um how do i explain it like uh our priest was wearing nothing under his robe he had long hair he was hispanic he had um you know 
just like Birkenstocks or something. I don't even know. You know what I mean? Like, it was just very like, just kind of like hip for the area or whatever. Um, But we spent a lot of time in Castroville and Salinas, which are like, um, like Castroville is like the artichoke community. I don't know if you've heard of it. Like, um, not Castroville, but yeah. Yeah. You've heard Salinas probably. Yeah. Like, uh, in Monterey, um, we lived in that area for a long time, like on the border of Salinas and Monterey. And um, there was just like a huge influx of poor people. And my mom like worked with those people and like I sure. became friends with those people. And like that was like pretty much my life for a long time. And that's how I first learned Spanish. Nice. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I mean, like that's where I'm from. Like, um, okay. I, uh, I, I mean, I'd say that's where I'm from. I spent my formative years there. Um, but prior to that, I was born in Wiesbaden, Germany. Okay. Um, so it's, you know, it's been kind of interesting. My dad was in the military. Super interesting. Yeah. Okay. So dad was in the military and then yep. I guess how long were you in Germany for? You, Until I was still... four. Okay. It, German was my first language. Um, sure. I actually had a nanny that spoke German and I saw her more than my family for the time being because everybody was busy working. Sure. Um, and so I, my first language was German. And then when they brought me over to the States when I was four, um, they took me to an English speaking school and they were just like, no, you speak English here. <laughs> and my parents didn't really speak German. And so they right. were just like, well, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was kind of an adjustment. But after that, I was, it was fine. Like German's actually more difficult than English. So okay not a big deal is it still like i mean are you... i don't speak it anymore no no, no. i completely able... lost it and okay. that, you know that's totally my parents fault sure <laughs> that's kind of a shame yeah yeah, it is a shame yeah, yeah. um but spanish is it, you're still rocking and rolling with spanish I, i'm rocking a little bit with spanish like i understand it more than i can speak it but um yeah like i know what's going on like when okay. somebody's speaking spanish to me like even italian because they're romantic languages sure. like becomes a little bit more familiar yeah but um it's kind of interesting because like with german films like one time i was falling asleep one of my ex-boyfriends said that we were watching this german film and i was falling asleep and he asked what they said and i said something like oh they said this you know whatever Mm -hmm. and i was like half asleep but like for some reason in that sort of stupor like i was aware i was aware of what was going on yeah. like in german <laughs> like nice yeah so it's still in there somewhere i'm sure right you know and like certain keywords are there too like you just have to be half asleep to unlock it right yeah, yeah. no problem <laughs> <laughs> i feel like we've already kind of started yeah which is awesome fine. yeah let's do it um i'll have a little video before this okay. and obviously i think some of that other the that'll all be in there too because okay. it was like i wanted to ask you about agoraphobia yeah because that's what i'm like least familiar with yep i appreciate you letting me know yeah um, it's like kind of a rarity to find somebody that's afraid of the outside like or that will admit it i guess right, <laughs> right. i mean do you think that some people have that just masked and just think they have anxiety or just yeah anxiety yeah i think it? like i think there's uh it's taken me a lot of years to figure out. i mean i'm 38 now and they figured out I was agoraphobic when I was 16. Okay. So, um, 16, 17. So, um, 
you know, it's been a it's been a long time coming to like figure out that that's even what was going on. Sure. Um, <clears throat> growing up, my parents just thought that I was just weird. You know what I okay. mean? Which was fine. Totally. <laughs> like we're that's all a weird. Compliment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I was just like, oh, I'm not normal. Cool. <laughs> you right. know, I'm gonna go watch Daria. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I think it was like really confusing to them. Um, when I kind of, it's kind of like coming out of the closet when you have a mental illness in a way, because you're like, well, this is how I am. Um, you can accept me for who I am and try and fix me, or we can accept who I am and move forward from there, which is like really important. There's a, there's a difference. Yeah. So, um, luckily my parents were able to move forward with me. Okay. Um, so you know, it hasn't been problematic in that way. They've accepted the fact that I have problems. Like my right. dad will still ask me to like help him rake sometimes. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you know, but, um, so his way of like checking to see if it's cured. Yeah. It's just like, Hmm, let's yeah. see. Let's see. He's like poking the bear, you know, right. <laughs> like, right. just to see what happens, which is fine. <laughs> Cause I do the same thing. That's yeah. where I learned it. Yeah. <laughs> So I've never, I really haven't thought of it that way of kind of like realizing you have a mental illness and I never, I've never thought of it as like coming out of the closet. Yeah. Similar to it. Yeah. Well, I mean like I've had to come out of the closet and I've had to come out of the closet with mental illness. So it's like being bisexual, which is a whole nother issue we can talk about on another podcast, but like, um, like, and also being agoraphobic, you know, it was just like, I have these two things that conservative parents aren't really going to jive with, you know right, what I mean? Right. Um, I don't know, they they lived in Oregon for like 12 years or something, and so I feel like they lightened up a little bit, like, okay. since More they... exposure? Yeah, to... yeah, just like different people, you know what yeah. I mean? And like, uh, my dad worked in a hospital, and so he just like... He got to know different types of people that way, and mm. I thought it was really enlightening for them in a way yeah. to actually live on the coast and do stuff like that. Sure. So, I don't know. It's so, been helpful. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. Um, so, I guess, why don't you... I'll have a little video before this where I'll, like, I'll interview with Kelly Sexton. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I guess, why don't you... Why don't we kind of officially start with... Um, letting letting us know letting my viewers know kind of a little bit about yourself kind of generally where are you now what are you doing um who are you that oh, okay. kind of stuff yeah who i am my name is kelly sexton um i run the quail press based out of lacrosse wisconsin with a man named kevin ducey he's awesome he showed me so many things um and then i also help run a press out of madison wisconsin it's called Anarcho Welfare, and that's owned by Jesse Kearns. Um, and that's that's kind of a fun venture. Like, I really enjoy the stuff that we're doing with that. Um, and then I have two books out with Vegetarian Alcoholic Press. Uh, one is called Vodka Mountain. The other one is called Dear Mr. Phillips, Thanks for the Brandy. I Hate What I've Become. They look like this. Nice. They're available on vegetarianalcoholicpress.com. And um, Freddie LaForce is the driving force behind that. Freddie LaForce is the force <laughs> um, behind that. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, yeah, so that's pretty much about the presses. That's what I've been doing so far. Um, okay. I actually, actually, I have our new releases on a pin for you. It's oh. got some stickers no in it. No kidding? Stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So this is through Anarcho Welfare. Okay. And that's Brian Cherry's new book. Awesome. Um, it's actually, like, I did the graphic design for this, so it's a uh, cityscape flipped upside down. Sure. And then I did the design for this as well, and it's I drew on one of my friend's arms. <laughs> oh, and is it was that like, Yeah, and he's like, "That's the saddest guy I've Oops. ever seen," you know. Yeah. And I was just like, I was like, "Oh, <laughs> I was like, let's put it on the cover of your book." <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So Brian Cherry. Yep, Brian Cherry. He's awesome. He's out of Milwaukee, and he's doing stuff with Vegetarian Alcoholic Press now, too, actually. Okay. Like, they picked him up, so that's That's really awesome. cool. Yeah. Um, and is, so all of these press, these three presses, is majority of what they do poetry? Yep. Well, it's all poetry. It's all poetry. Yeah. Okay. And then you mentioned, um, I think with Anarcho, you mentioned punk poetry. Yep. Can you kind of let me know? So I'm interested to know about okay. that, like about um, what that's all about. Punk poetry, I look at it as like uh, postmodern poetry that's a reaction to what's culturally happening. Um, okay. People that are a little bit on the vein of what's going on as far as current events. Sure. Um, and a reaction to that. Not just those, but a reaction to current events, a reaction to what's going on culturally yeah. um, in America, in Europe in japan in you know like everywhere sure like where what's going on and what is our reaction to that because like you know you can see things like russian lit you know like you can see like people's reaction to what's going on as far as war and shit like that and it's fucking amazing and like i just find it really interesting to see the human reaction to what's going on politically everywhere right yeah yeah, so yeah, I guess that's like like the postmodern reaction, postmodern reactionary poetry is a better way to word punk poetry. Sure. Yeah. And <clears throat> I guess I guess one question I have about that is so like you know like beat poetry and and kind mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. Beat poetry, um, I would assume, is like more of the. 50s 60s 70s and we're working on beat poetry in the 80s 90s 2000s etc um we call things beat poetry which i think is interesting but i think of that as like a past sort of right um existence in a way yeah yeah. so like but do you see kind of like a a relation between like the subject matter and um what punk rock poetry yeah yeah Yeah. i definitely see a connection yeah Yeah. there's there's an extreme connection um and jello biafra is like a good example of this like uh he came to naropa all the time like which is where i got my where i went to grad school or whatever um it's in boulder and he it was started by alan ginsberg okay um and trunkpa rinpoche who is a buddhist um so it's like a buddhist inspired school started by a beat poet basically that's cool um and so yeah i don't know it was just it, it's kind of interesting to see the new the new beat poets so to speak um right. i would say that like cara morel is one of them um you know 
Freddie LaForce, obviously. Like, uh, like he doesn't publish his poetry a lot. Um, he runs Vegetarian Alcoholic Press, but mm-hmm. uh, his poetry is amazing. Sure. He just doesn't publish it. <laughs> like, is it just for himself, kind uh, of, to get certain feelings out? No, like, every, every great now and then he'll collaborate with somebody, but that's, okay. like, what he does. But um, he doesn't... Yeah, it's, it's like... Um, you know, Bukowski called it taking good beer shit. Right. <laughs> um, which is a really crass way of saying that, like, it's something that comes to you naturally. It's something that you have to purge from yourself, right. like, to go about your day. It's not necessarily what everybody does. Um, like Scroobius Pip says, there's, you know, a whole lot of people that are writers, but not a lot of people that want to write. Right. Um. <laughs> right. Shit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I it hits, did it. It hits uh, home too. Don't worry. You're yeah. not alone. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. Like it's having to having to just fucking get it out. Yeah. Like it's here. Yeah. And like um, I have these feelings. They're here. They mm-hmm. exist, and I'm gonna acknowledge them in print. Um. A lot of people are just like, I don't want to do journals because it's evidence. Right. And I'm like, evidence of what? Evidence that you existed? That's cool. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like you're a person with experiences and Yeah. And I mean, like, don't think about your parents finding it. They're not going to find it. And if they do, <laughs> fuck them. Like, <laughs> they deserve to know the truth. Doesn't everybody? Um, <laughs> like, yeah, no. I, I think that, like, it's it's an intense feeling and it's a freeing feeling when you can write down your truth and present it to somebody else on top of that like that's amazing like sharing your truth with in a public forum like Mm -hmm. that's just crazy and so like i always encourage people to go to open mics even if they're just like i just write for myself it's like come on dude like we'll share your experience like don't be so selfish about it like other people are suffering too like just because you have a cure poem you know it doesn't mean that like (laughs) it's not gonna appeal to somebody out there like somebody in the audience is having a shitty night somebody in the audience is having a good night somebody in the audience is fucking bored (laughs) like that's gonna happen like so it's just like sharing your experience is just to me of the utmost importance yeah. like that's that's this thing yeah that's, that's what we're doing um, yeah and i've noticed that um if i go a long time without like just doing a quick burn off 15 minute thing mm-hmm. like i can feel it building in my head yep and i have to get it out like that's it oh <laughs> oh mom you don't yeah. even want to know what we're doing here we're making podcasts and shit. <laughs> <laughs> i'll have to call her later i'll call you later mom all under um, the radar. I also do have to. I always, <laughs> I always, uh, I feel like I need to warn her if there's more, if there's a bunch of swears. Makes it. There, there's a bunch of swears, mom. Swears. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, just, it's just what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and just then, give her my poetry book ahead of time and be like, this is what we're dealing <laughs> with. And I'm really so. She's mentally ill. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess another thing about punk poetry um, and that kind of stuff, like, what. Is it really, is is it just kind of like cathartic for the person or is there something that they're hoping that will come of it, of explaining what's going on in the world and um, explaining kind of how they feel about it and their reaction to it? Yeah, well, I think like with all art, um, you're going to have a reaction to what's actually happening. 
Um, you see that a lot with like Banksy and yeah. things like that. Um, you know, there's a political element to what's being done in certain circumstances where you're analyzing what's happening and you're reacting to it, but you're also encouraging other people to subjectively identify with that. Right. Um, okay. Or you're encouraging those that do subjectively identify to connect with you or to, I mean, that's what this is about, like mm-hmm. connecting with other people, um, finding a support system that allows you to flourish things mm-hmm. like that um so it's like i guess to answer your question a little bit more um it's more like you work towards explaining who you are but you also hope that others identify with that and those totally. that identify with it will feel less alone and by feeling less alone mm-hmm. will feel more able to act on you know uh things like things that feel weird to them you know what i mean things that feel abnormal Mm -hmm. like things that feel strange because we're all abnormal we're all strange you know so it's like um just picking up on those small elements like even if it's a line or two where you can like grab onto it and make it through the rest of your fucking day Mm -hmm. um it's hard life's hard nobody's ever going to tell you that it's easy if they're old enough to understand what's going on um so like subjective identification i guess is like the main okay the main thing yeah yeah i love that yeah because that's um feeling like without saying feeling heard without saying anything if you hear someone kind of echoing back to you or speaking to you something that like you connect with and you're um you relate to yeah it's like you feel instantly heard and yes. it's like you almost feel um there's a, a validation a right yeah, yeah you feel like a validation and almost a permission to be like oh i can be more this then like yes because that other person's doing it and yes right there. and i mean there's like definitely times for that there's appropriate mediums for that like right. you don't need to be an asshole to somebody you can just be an asshole in a poem to them <laughs> you know what i sure. mean like and sometimes that's how i roll i have plenty of asshole poems like where i'm just like i'm mad i'm gonna write a poem about you you know Mm -hmm. like and it happens like but um i think as far as like getting rid of that um and the negativity because the negativity is going to come like um you're not going to just be a positive person all the time like people that say that are lying right um (laughs) like you think about things and you think about them and you think about thinking and you think about thinking about thinking and like you're mm-hmm. a human being. So like there, there are complex levels of thought that happen. Right. So, I mean, you know, and sometimes if you're always positive, maybe there aren't those complex levels of thought happening or you're just well, refusing or you're refusing or you're like, like say somebody like the Dalai Lama, like um, he takes in, uh information that's negative and he'll just be like okay yes that's negative information he acknowledges it but moves on from it and doesn't attach himself to it which is like super cool but i can't do it i can't do it right i haven't been able to do it so far i'm being honest Mm -hmm. um i wish i could um i followed the teachings of lao tzu for a really long time um taoism 
and was really into that. Um, that's actually what brought me to Buddhism and to Naropa. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I just I just didn't completely connect with any religion. Sure. Yeah. So that's that's totally like definitely the hardest part of being able to like recognize and feel emotions and feelings and thoughts and everything, but just keeping yourself like at a distance from them. Yeah. Because like I feel like the the more I feel that I'm um, uh, self-aware about those things and I feel them bubbling up and I know when something's happening and I can feel it like in parts of my body and I know why I'm feeling that, yep. but I just can't help myself yeah. and get like an act on it in a certain way. Yep. I think that's like the final, like bar- not the final barrier, but that's like the next barrier. And that's, that's tough. And that that's even more maddening almost because yeah. you can, you know, but you do it anyway. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the worst things that I've done in my life, I've been like, I know this is bad, and then I do them anyway. Right. Um, and like, then feel and shitty. then and then you feel shitty later, and so then you realize like, after the fact that you should just not do those shitty things. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> and sometimes you do it again. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. No, there's always like, um, they talk about in recovery, they talk about relapse and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And, like, I just look at, like, all of existence as kind of, like, you're going to relapse over and over. You're going to relapse to whatever it is that you've become accustomed to. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it's healthy or unhealthy, you're going to find your way back to these habits. Um, And so, like, just recognizing that is a full step beyond, you know, like, like, just even acknowledging that that's happening is a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, just be like, oh, well, this is what's going on right now. I'm I'm having an anxious moment. And that's that has a lot to do with like um, panic attacks. Sure. Um, I have panic attacks. And so like um, it's kind of like the thought of having a panic attack is actually worse than the panic attack itself. OK. Um, so it's like I live in fear of having a panic attack because it's something that can come at any moment. Like I can right. just like lock up and be like. I can't breathe, you know, like, and it's like, that's horrifying to me, like, especially as a poet, because I could be up on stage and just lock up immediately. And that's what would happen, you know, and I just have to deal with that. Um, So I've had to, like, come to terms with the fact that I need coping mechanisms. And what are those? Um, Like, a lot of it is having a list of how things can go right in my head um, and saying, okay, all these negative thoughts are there. And I'm going to acknowledge them because they're there. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ignore them. Like, that's not the right thing to do in this circumstance. I'm going to acknowledge them and I'm going to let them pass by me. And I'm going to let the positivity flow through me because that's all I can do. Sure. Um, another thing is, like, medical marijuana. Um, I believe in it. Um, I also, I believe in medications. Like I believe in benzodiazepines for some people. Um, I believe in, uh, antidepressants for some people. Um, it depends. And, you know, uh, finding the right doctor is key. Um, Mm. finding somebody that knows what they're talking about and will do the DNA tests, um, that can tell you what will work in your system, which is what they can do now. Um, and so like, you know, there, there are ways to cope with what's happening right you know in your brain like other than just like you know getting super hammered or like you know whatever like dealing with it another way that's like 
a more deconstructive than constructive way. Yeah. And I think that's like the, that's the easy way. Yeah. It's right there. It's, I mean, it's legal and it's there. Oh yeah. And And especially in Wisconsin. I mean, like, um, it's just like, I think, isn't Wisconsin like the only state that you can get a DUI and you just have to take a class? That might, that (laughs) might've just changed. I think they, I think they, I think the laws just changed recently. Oh, okay. But yeah, until then it was, I think you can get one and then, yeah, it was a, you do your, do your mad meeting, do a class and do a couple other things. And that's It's like a thousand dollar fine or less and a class, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. And so like, um, I mean, that's disconcerting. Right. Um, so it's like, it's something that's culturally, socially acceptable, especially in the area that we're in. I mean, like, you know, there's a PBR sign right over there, like that I got yeah. from Steinhaus the last night, you know? Yeah. And like, um, and those are kind of like, can be nostalgic things for a lot of people in this area too. They like really are nostalgic things. Um, and I've spent a lot of times in bars like yesterday's and Steinhaus. Um, and you know, those are local bars. And, um, I really enjoyed them. I enjoyed my time there. Um, but it really felt like kind of like a post-college or college era sort of thing. Um, where once I moved into my thirties, it was like less fun. (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, I think everybody kind of goes through that though. Like just like the evolution of, you know, Mm-hmm. being a bar person and then like not being a bar person <laughs> and trying to right. like come to terms with like who are you you know <laughs> like i don't know like everybody calls me mouse at the bar okay and so like it's just like am i mouse or am i kelly i'm confused you know yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. just kind of like a it's almost like two different personalities that exist in a way um you know one that's like downtown and doing all this stuff and then another one that's like very private and at home um and i think a lot of people go through that in their early 20s yeah 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 that's and you like the bar people like you see you see you don't think of them as having like you don't think of like the at-home private part private itself right you're just um like you don't don't even know what's going on sometimes with half those people because like you're just like, oh, they seem really happy, you know, right. and they seem fine. And then you'll find out, you know, somebody like off themselves or something. And you're like, oh, didn't see that one coming. They seem so happy, you know, whatever. Right. Well, I only saw them at the bar when they were drinking. So, and alcohol is a depressant. And you're not seeing that genuine person. Exactly. They're, they're kind of escaping from that genuine person. Right. Well, I think there's a lot of reasons to do drugs. Like, this will bring us to um, the idea of uh go ahead chemically induced realities yeah chemically induced realities (laughs) yeah um i did my uh thesis at naropa on chemically induced realities um and chemically induced realities is like a really just pretentious way of saying drugs um so it's like drugs in the works of terence mckenna uh william s burroughs and ken mccullough and ken mccullough is actually local he's from winona Okay. Um, he is at the college there and, um, he's getting older. Um, he runs a series there, a poetry series and stuff okay. like that. So, um, I did it on that. Uh, the reason I did it on that was I initially started with chemically induced spirituality. Okay. 
Um, and the reason I did that was mm-hmm. because Ken McCullough has a lot of stuff on his peyote ceremonies um, with uh, this Native American tribe that he became close with. And okay. um, so I found benefits to that. And uh, William S. Burroughs' uh, experience with Yahe and ayahuasca, um, et cetera, in Tangiers, I thought was pretty interesting with the shamans. Um, and he, he did a Yahe Letters um, correspondence with he and Ginsburg. Um, I have it over there if you want to take a look at it. It's like um, just the letters back and forth when he was in Tangiers trying to acquire the root. Okay. Um, and so it's just like, you know, his experiences with that and just really interesting sorts of places that people have taken like psychedelics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily alcohol. Um, which okay. I consider like the weakest drug. Right. Yeah. Very prevalent, but. Very prevalent, um... very common. <laughs> um, but yeah, pretty much the weakest drug. So what was your, I guess, what did your thesis get, get at? Um, it was just like, it was just an analysis of it. Okay. And then a creative response to it. So it was just like poetry and then, uh, hardcore thesis of like i think it was like 30 pages or something um going into what the chemically induced realities were in these specific works and what the benefits of them were okay. um some of the benefits i guess would be like um uh getting in touch with the innate self and by that, I mean the childlike self, mm-hmm. um, the self that's able to um, let go of sociological analysis mm-hmm. and yeah. just rely on self-analysis for a minute, which is fine. For a night, it's fine. Um, for a day, it's fine. Um, for a lifetime, it's not fine. Um, if you <laughs> right. look at like, and and the thing that I found this a lot with was Terrence McKenna's work, um, like jail notes and stuff like that. Like I, while I enjoyed it, like Alan Watts has a quote, and it's when you get the message, hang up the phone. So that's how I feel about psychedelics. Sure. Um, like once you get the message, hang up the phone. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like, because um, is it kind of one of those things where you, like once you get it, like you're not going to get another message or a different one. It's like, well, they call like an extreme psychedelic experience. You experience ego death. Sure. And, uh, the way I would, I would describe that, I guess, is like, you just move outside yourself so much that you realize how trivial, but how beautiful your experience in your life is. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and there's a duality there, trivial, beautiful um so it's kind of like you have to believe both things at once um and it it puts you there in a way i think um if you're around the right people if you're not with people who are like let's trip balls (laughs) you know like (laughs) then it can be a good experience i think like yeah like this was made on acid (laughs) nice me and like three other friends Oh, a team painting? A team painting, nice. yep. <laughs> I guess, and yeah, thinking about how, well, like how, in, how ingrained everything is in like the structure of our society and the structure mm-hmm. of our life, you know, why 
how most of what we do is pretty trivial trivial and doesn't really matter yeah um that's tough to that's what i always like aspire to get to here and there um is being able to kind of just like negative thoughts like understand it maybe not attach myself to it but obviously there's things that while you're living in a society you still need to kind of uh work with and you still need to kind of do right like yeah. you can't completely like unless you want to run away and you know disappear and everything you kind of have to still abide by some of like societies. if you showed up in a muumu i would have been like that's cool <laughs> but at the same time i would have been like oh he's really like out there you <laughs> <know>? <laughs> i wasn't expecting there that. are sociological expectations like right, i expected right. you to show up in pants and what you're wearing you know what sure. i mean like and you expected me to be like you know poet girl <laughs> or whatever right, right. <laughs> like there are just like certain expectations i think that we throw down like even in our own mental cases like where we're just like oh i'm going to um, you know i'm gonna go to go out to eat and i'm going to this indian restaurant it's gonna be this way like it's not necessarily gonna be that way right. <laughs> like so like the expectations that even like personally we throw down, let alone society, are like just ridiculous. And the ones we throw yeah. down on ourselves are also ridiculous. Right. So yeah, for sure. That's pretty wicked. Like yeah. how much just just our expectations or just our how we fill up those empty spaces that of thought. questions and mm-hmm. thoughts of just like our anxieties and our and our expectations and maybe our joys and everything. Yeah. But like it's dangerous to do that. Like, and I can understand um, if you spend time in isolation, like you're probably the majority of your thoughts are going to be filled up with just that. Yeah. Like where you're just making things up. Now. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't, you're not experiencing, you're making things up. Mm-hmm. Um, something I really learned in grad school was that you need to experience life to even write about it. And right. so, like, if you're just sitting at home all the time and writing, mm-hmm. that's not experiencing life. Like, it has to be kind of like this, you know, I'm not going to say 50-50 because percentages are silly. But, like, right. it has to be, like, you know, a trade-off. Like, you have to exist to have something to write about. Mm-hmm. So. Otherwise, you're just imagining what life's like. Exactly, yeah. there's no depth there. Right, and you're just like all of a sudden you're Camus with the stranger trying to imagine what it's like to be an unlikable <laughs> character, and it just doesn't right. work necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although it's a good book, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so I guess uh, let's see. Do you have any? I I loved all that because that's um, it's interesting to know um, kind of a little more about you know why people would like what these what these poets kind of experiences were and these writers and philosophers experiences were on that um do you have any like what type of philosophy do you well you were talking about buddhism and and taoism Mm -hmm. like what what type of like philosophy do you attach to the most do you feel um i attach to the teachings of well i won't call them the teachings i guess but um the writings of bertrand russell Okay. He's um he's a logician from the fifties. Um, he was a mathematician as well. Um, but he essentially says that subjective reality is like the ultimate. Um, and that all we can do is help other people with their subjective realities, sure. and to be good to each other, 
and um, to care for each other, and that hate is foolish and love is smart. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's essentially, like, that's where I'm at, um, and that's really a simplistic way of putting Bertrand Russell's works, sure. but, um, yeah, like, he thinks that, like, a good example is, uh, he uses the example of color. Um, everybody sees a color differently based on our physical, like, physically our eyes are all different. Mm -hmm. Um, so, like, you know, that's red to you, like like this is red right yeah but it looks kind of orange to some people and it looks mm -hmm. kind of like pink to some people and it looks uh completely black and white to some people because they're colorblind mm -hmm. colorblind right. um they just see things differently subjectively um and so it's like coming to terms with the fact that everybody's going to see everything the same way that they right. see color like they're going to see it with a different lens um and that's based on nature that's based on nurture that's based on sociological, cultural, you know, all sorts of things. But um, essentially, we're all human beings. We're all animals. Mm -hmm. And we're just trying to make our way along. I mean, you know, I um, can't remember the guy's name, but he did a documentary on stress. And he was saying that, like, bonobos are actually the closest to humans in their behavior. Mm, yeah. Um, and apparently they spend the majority of their time torturing each other because they spend a very minimal time foraging, which is like us. Um, minimal time foraging and then maximum time torturing each other. Okay. So they show, like, in, in the documentary I saw, he, it was just like another one bonobo to the other was like putting his face into the water like just torturing him and like sure. stuff like that and so i was just like man like if only like our stress levels were low enough to where we wouldn't have to torture each other in our free time like right. it, you know like if if the boss that was so angry was less stressed out then being at work would be a lot better absolutely so I don't know. It's just kind of interesting how that stuff works out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are other people in the world, and they exist, <laughs> and <laughs> and they all have. It's hard well, to come to terms each, with, actually. Yeah, yeah. and each, I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's it's really complicated. Well, and it's the not not just that they exist, but it's they have this like just these chain of events in their life that's completely different than anyone else's that is that has ever existed yep each person yeah every person and, has a different existence and like understanding that like makes everything well it kind of makes us seem a lot closer but it makes everything seem a lot bigger that there's you know billions and billions of individual threads of time just like traveling around the planet yeah well and, and then you get into string theory or like you know <laughs> the butterfly effect yeah. and you're just like oh god <laughs> get into that yeah yeah but I like I, I like that that philosophy because yeah. it's you know it's kind of about everyone like there's we're not there's only one way off of this thing and yep. no matter what we do from here to there that's not going to change so what the fuck's the point of you know being angry I mean anger and hate there's you know. It just seems like wasted time. Right. We're given a certain amount of time on this planet. What are we going to spend it with? You right. know, are we going to spend it with our family? Are we going to spend it with friends? Are we going to spend it criticizing friends and family? Mm -hmm. 
are we going to spend it criticizing uh, politically, like, what's going on? Are we going to spend it with hateful blogs about bullshit? <laughs> are we going to spend it trolling people on Facebook? Like, how are we going to spend our fucking time? Right. Like, um, and when you come to the terms of the fact that you have such limited time on this planet, yeah. then it's just, like, it's overwhelming almost, like, with what you think that you should be accomplishing and things like that. But at the same time, it's also freeing. Um, yeah. Cause you realize that it's so fleeting. Yeah. You have such Absolutely. little time on this planet to do whatever it is you're going to do. And that's only going to be like available to the people that are currently on the planet at that time mm -hmm. necessarily. Right. Yeah. So it's like, we write books, we do all these things. Like we put shit online. Like, you know, there's like, there's uh, an imprint of us like in a certain way or whatever because we're all on the grid, but right. we're not. Nobody gives a shit. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do with the people that are in our lives to make life better? Yeah. Yeah. That's very important. Right. And it's tough. Like what I want is people to get to that realization as fast as humanly fucking possible. Yeah. And, and that is the you know the what we think we need to do for society i mean a lot of that bullshit's wrapped in there too like mm -hmm. are you going to well i don't really like xyz about my job but i mean the pay it pays the bills and whatever and yeah pretty soon you're, that's, that's pretty a soon lot you're of people. like 60 65 years old yes and what the fuck did i just do yeah um and or people that are working for a company that they don't believe in the mission statement even right you know things like that like it's and it's because they need the money. I mean, it's it's not a good situation to be in. But if you're in that situation, you're not alone. <laughs> um, no. There are tons of people that are in that situation. Um, and there are ways out of it. There are ways out. Right. There are little so, things that you can, like, etch out in your life yes. little by little. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think there's, there's a differentiation in our culture between work self and home self and like right. the people that know me call it my phone voice like because i'll be like they're like you know welcome to the pump house this is kelly how may i help you you know like <laughs> sure. and so it's just like and, and i don't swear and i'm nice and you know like whatever like yeah. i pretend not to be me for a minute but i don't think you should have to pretend to not be you to be at a job right um and i think people appreciate honesty um, and in all the jobs that I've had, whether it was like an office job or, you know, my first job at a movie theater where I wore a little bow tie, you know, nice. or whatever, like <laughs> whatever job it's been, like I've tried to bring like myself to it instead of just trying to like act like everybody else that I work with. Right. You know what I mean? Because that can be a giant cause of stress too. Like, it's huge. I have to be this person for a little bit. Yeah, I have to pretend to be somebody else. And you know what? You don't. And if you have been, you can stop. <laughs> anytime right well that's the other thing like aside from that like doing a job you don't like or you know all the other stuff that 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 are typical but it's wasting time being embarrassed yeah. or being ashamed yes or being... shame is something yeah. i dealt with a lot um i grew up catholic i went to aquinas <laughs> okay yeah i went to aquinas high school yeah. um so um and my family was pretty catholic um, they converted from being Presbyterians when we okay. were in California. Cause like I said, like the Catholics there were pretty cool. <laughs> and sure. then, so we went from like this, like me sort of Mexican 
um, Catholicism to Irish Catholicism in the Midwest when we moved here. And that was kind of a, that was a totally different scenario. And I realized that like a religion can be the same, but the people that follow it will be totally different. Absolutely. Um, And then I got like, somebody gave me a pen that said, God save me from your followers. And I just thought that was hilarious <laughs> like, because like totally when I first moved to the Midwest, I was just like, I was like, wow, this is totally different and really not open as as open minded as I was used to, you right. know? Right. And so there but there was a lot of shame involved, um, you know, like the idea of Catholic guilt, which I think, you know, Catholics are trying to work away from now. But um, it's like. It's just an immense pressure to conform. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I always found that frightening. Um, yeah. And so I've moved away from the Catholic Church and I, I've just embraced agnosticism. Okay. So. Yeah. And what. And how long has that been for you? Mm, since I was 11. Okay. Yeah. And was, so, that, was that another coming out for the parents? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Sure. Um they were like they were very disappointed um it was like like mike berbiglia the comedian describes his relationship with god as a three-way where like (laughs) only his mom like he would only have a relationship with god if his mom was there oh (laughs) like yeah and so he's like so it's like this weird three-way where uh it was cool if i talked to god but only if mom was there right (laughs) like and so um yeah, it was kind of like that. It was just kind of like I was pretending for a long time. Sure. And um, then when I got into high school, I stopped pretending, and it was really like coming out of the closet. And then I realized that I didn't have the same, like, you know, um, avoidance of homosexuals as, like, the regular Catholics that I knew. Sure. And so um, at that time, like, Ellen DeGeneres came out on Time Magazine and it said, yeah. yep, I'm gay. And I remember putting that up on my wall and being, like, very proud of somebody that they would, like, admit that they were abnormal right. or, like, you know, out of the, you know, cookie-cutter image that was trying to be placed on them. And I thought that was really cool. And, I like, I realized, like, looking back, I sat at the gay table okay. in high school. Like, um, the majority of people that sat at my table turned out to be gay, like, later. Okay. Um, weren't necessarily out in high school like one or two of them were but like sure the rest of them were just like not aware yet you know which okay. is fine um and so looking back on that it's just like it's really interesting because it's just like all those people existed under you know this catholic school sort of right like umbrella um and so but like they were still there you know and mm-hmm. like um they're like they're doing amazing things now like one of them went to harvard another one's nice. you know probation officer for the city here and sure. <laughs> you know they're doing great things good old aquinas high school oh yeah um, i'll never forget when the hands got stolen off uh mary in the front did oh, you hear no. about that um no, it I was hilarious that. okay so like there's a Ma- there's a mary with her hands like this right and um the hands got stolen 
and they replaced them with bigger hands like so they look <laughs> <Okay>. like ridiculous <laughs> like and if you go by the school to this day you can still see like the the huge mary hands oh they're still on they're there. still there so they, yeah the other hands never yeah. made it back you know <laughs> the other hands were uh forever forever gone <laughs> i'm gonna a little bit of time left cool um why don't let's see is there anything that that I've forgotten to cover that you just want to speak to. Oh, don't I forget I Elvira. That. Yeah, that's oh, awesome. Yeah. He does that. <laughs> he gets pumped. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's talk. He's about... got. He has two partners. He's actually polyamorous. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And they're both in there, just kind of hanging out. Yeah, two stuffed animals for the bunny, <laughs> and he humps, you know, as at will. As bunnies do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, uh, we got him and he was like three years old. And so we were like, we're probably not going to get him fixed at this point because sure. he's had him for three years. So. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. Right. Well, he's got, he's got his friends in there. Yeah. We thought about getting another bunny, but then we're like, well, we'll have little bunnies. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like before no time. Er, exactly. No time. Yeah. Bunnies um, do that. Yeah. Elvira. Elvira. So we recently... It, we Who doesn't like boobs in 90s horror flicks? True. Right? Right. right. That's kind of the thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean. <laughs> so she was. Um, so for me, and I know you, you've kind of told me your feelings about her. For yeah. me, it was. Um, I don't know. I don't know if she was like the first time I realized like, oh, women are like really pretty. Like, yeah. I, I, I yeah. started having like these like, oh, wow, feelings. It was like the weird yeah. girl or something. Right. Like at your school, right. like where you're just like, oh. <laughs> like, Something's different now. Yeah. Because yeah. I would like really. You would stay up all night. Yes. So I would go to bed. Like I, I was, I think like addictive tendencies started then because like when I wanted something, I just wanted more and more and more of it. Oh, yeah. And I think that, um. I saw like campy horror movies on USA mm-hmm. and I just wanted to, that be kind of, it became kind of a nightly ritual where yep. I would pretend to go to bed or I would go to bed and, and maybe wake up at like midnight or something. Yep. Um, and then can't sleep. So I go out and watch USA up all night. Yep. And then I wanted that every night. Like, so it was like the nightly thing. Yeah. Um, and then I, as a, young young boy found out that like ooh like i think i like girls now like i think <laughs> these so, are girls yeah elvira was so pretty like she was like the dark mistress right. <laughs> like so it also felt like um she was showing us stuff that our parents wouldn't necessarily show us and yes. so i was like ooh you're naughty i like you <laughs> like and so there was like something in my head where i was like i think i like boobs and i do <laughs> yeah. so she led you led you down the path Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah her, um, Fiona Apple, Tori Amos. Yeah. Shit yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, there were definitely, like, female crushes growing up that I didn't even realize until later. I was like, oh, those are my first female crushes. Nice. Duh. <laughs> and, and still? I yeah, mean, oh, of course, yeah. yeah. Still kind of still, crush over yeah. a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're still beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, especially since, like... You know, I've aged, they've aged, and I don't judge. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm just like, they're good-looking people. I would agree. I would agree. For sure. Um, and then a few, I think another thing we talked about um, was, you know, talking about authors. Mm-hmm. I mean, we both connected on Clive Barker. Oh, yeah. Clive Barker's and, awesome. Yeah. And he's, so I haven't had, I'm a very, like... I'm a shallow swimmer when it comes to things like when it comes to music and books and everything. Mm-hmm. Like I just like 
oh, I like that. And then I'm kind of on to the next one. Yeah, I do that and too, yeah. like Clive Barker, it was basically um, Books of Blood and um, Weave World. Oh, okay, cool. Were the ones that For like, me, stuck with me the most. For me, it was Magica. And I haven't read that um, And it's, it's a rather long one. And it starts out... Um, the reason that it clung to me is because I subjectively identified with it. Um, okay. I opened it up and it was like talking about how... Um, and the three became two and the two became one was essentially the first paragraph. Okay. And that deeply connected with me as far as my living situation and things like that. Like I was sure. living in Oregon, like the three had become two and the two had become one in okay. a sense. And so I was just like, that's really interesting. And so I read the entirety of the book and was like obsessed with it or whatever. Um, but I really got into the comic books, the Hellraiser okay. comic books. Because sure. um, I was just like a comic kid, like River City Hobbies and lacrosse was like yeah. where it was my go-to every Wednesday, actually, like in okay. high school. Like that's what I would do um, with Jess Adler. <laughs> that's our king. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so like I would always pick up the Hellraiser comics. They'd special order them sometimes if I wanted a specific one. Sure. And, yeah, it was just an awesome place to be, and they like they were playing D and D, you know, when we'd go in, and, just like, having a ball, just having a good time, yeah. like painting little figures, you know, whatever. <laughs> I was never into that stuff, but like, you know, I get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How did you feel like the so comic books then movies for for Hellraiser? Um, no, it was movies first actually because okay. um, Hellraiser was in the so- it was like up for rental when i was little okay you know what i mean so like my dad would take me to rent movies because he was like he was always like pirating them you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and um yeah. and uh we, we'd go rent movies and then he would like take it home and, like use the vcr to like sure. tape it or whatever which was hilarious to me looking back most of you might not know what a vcr is but <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I remember back people, in the I, day <laughs> i remember people doing that they would have like the double mm-hmm. vcrs and then play and record at the same time that's exactly what he did and so like we would go there and there was this big hellraiser thing and i was like oh my god that's scary the first time i saw it and then the next Mm -hmm. time i saw it i was intrigued and then like after that i started looking at the backs of the movies and like it was rated r so i couldn't get it for a long period of time sure then uh good old jenny pfeiffer (laughs) my friend from uh grade school like uh, we would go over to her house and watch all the R-rated movies. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was just like, yeah, it's yeah. on. So it was like Clive Barker, like all the 90s horror movies we could get our hands on, like nice. the 80s horror movies. And then later it was like, you know, like Dario Argento and Roman Polanski and, you know, just like different, int- like David Lynch. Okay. Lynch was like always one of my favorites. Sure. Yeah, those were good times. Yeah. And I don't know. There was a little bit. So um, you see like Cabin in the Woods. Joss yeah. Whedon. Yeah. I think there was like a little bit of that feeling in there. Yeah, a little it bit. It was of, like yeah. it was like a throwback thing. Yeah. But it was also like pretty postmodern where they were acknowledging mm-hmm. that it was a throwback. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. But um, yeah, overall, like I just don't enjoy horror movies anymore. Yeah. It's kind of sad. Like I don't. Like, the jump scares never worked for me. Um, right. So, like, the It movies are out. Um, like, just, like, creepy shit. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. 
I kind of felt like story became more important at a certain point. Yeah. Like, like the writing camp, was better. Campy is fun. Like when you want to shut your head, yes, your brain yeah. off and like, like just super enjoy. gore, gored right. out. Yeah. But um, I, for some reason I really enjoy the eighties and nineties stuff of yeah. gore, like trauma. Oh, so I didn't, yeah. um, I didn't get into trauma, but I know people that did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's about it. Um, yeah. Tell me about trauma. Okay, so, like, um, my favorite one is Tromeo and Juliet. Okay. And so, like, Romeo and Juliet are brother and sister, and it's, like, a super fucked up take on Romeo and Juliet, and they, like, it's really violent and gory and weird and whatever, but it's the most high budget, I think, that Troma had for the time. So, if you want to, like, introduce yourself to Troma, if you're a Troma virgin... You can maybe start with Tromeo and Juliet. Tromeo and Juliet. Okay. Yeah. Um, did they do Toxic Avenger? Yep, they did Taxi. Okay. Um, and they did like a ton of other things that are just hilarious that you'll have to check out. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah, those days. And there's some, re- for some reason, like those like campy 80s, early 90s horror movies, like they didn't seem. Cat Girls from Hell. Like yeah. that type of shit. Yeah. Sex Vampires and like yeah, all that yeah. other stuff. Yeah. Like they just didn't seem. <laughs> it was so like. Even, even young yeah <laughs> even like even like young it was like so it wasn't scary no like it was just like it was just kind of entertaining yeah it was it was interesting like hellraiser was pretty scary like there were points when oh it was yeah like, yeah that was horrific where like i'm yeah. super young and i'm like yeah the oh, first hellraiser was very scary yeah. to me yeah because i was young when i saw it yeah <laughs> anytime when like skin's being put on someone or taking off someone um like you have a skinless person walking around, like needing. I'd fuck me. Yeah, <laughs> that type of shit. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but even Buffalo like Bill the, shit. Yeah. So like, I don't know if it. I think it was original Hellraiser where, um, towards the end, there's you know, if you haven't seen it by now, then I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, but like towards the end, <laughs> where guys. there's like a the bloody mattress in the middle of the room, yes. and there's a mover, and he comes in, and then like the, um, the post comes up. Spoiler well, alert. Yeah. Like, I think that was maybe the first thing that kind of, like, made me feel... So, like, Elvira made me feel different. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first thing that made me feel different like, about, like, uncomfortable. Life, life in general. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, like that life... sat with me. Like, this is, this is unsettling. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> that was the first thing that really unsettled me as a, I think as a young I think the first talk. movie that was unsettling to me was um, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Okay. Um, and there's a couple jump scares in there, like, and I rarely, like, jump scares rarely get me, but, like, when I was little, like, the one where she's, like, going around the corner and the alarm goes off, I remember, like, that one got me. Um, and then, like, where she's breastfeeding the baby that's not hers, mm. like, that's super creepy to me. I was like, yeah. what? That happens? Oh, my <laughs> God! And I'm, like, a little kid, you know, sure. so I'm just, like, in the doctor's office, like, it was, it was just a crazy movie. Yeah. Is there anything nowadays that, like, what do you, I guess, resonate with most now when it comes to, like, movies, entertainment, books? Um, I like documentaries. I like poetry books, obviously, sure. because I, I'm, like, ADD, and that's where uh, a lot of the poetry came in, because I was just yeah. like, I don't have time to read an entire book. Like, can't you just, like, summarize? <laughs> and, um... So you can just snap off, like, a half a book. Or yeah, a, or, yeah, or, or like, just, like, a singular poem. Like, I had a professor tell me one time that anybody can write a short poem, but it takes somebody with talent to write a long poem. I disagree. No. Yeah. Um, I really like short poems. Um, and, you know, the longer poems, like, can be fun, but, like, 
there's just something to be said for short poems. Like, there's something to be said for memes. There's something to be said oh, for, like... Why are memes so funny? They're just it's great. Just, it's condensed into this, yeah, like... Yeah, and memes have existed, it. like, since... Oh, yeah. We've been writing on cave walls. Like, that's a meme, too. Right, <laughs> Like, right. so the idea that they're new is kind of silly to me, too. It's just... Well, yeah. New, new in how we're... Because now, instead of cave it's walls... It's just a postmodern way of... Yeah. You know, it's like social media memes. You right. know, like, you post a... Yeah, if you don't know what a meme is, please also look that up on Urban Dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I know that was something that was, like, had been discussed for a long time, like, before computers existed. Oh, know, yeah. Before anything. Was, um, but they're very funny. Yeah. They just get us. They're yeah. Just short, condensed. I mean, it started with lolcats, and, like, they got us from there. <laughs> Damn it. Right? Lolcats. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't have sociologically constructed coping mechanisms. <laughs> Why not? Why not? All right. Well, I think, I think we're just about there. All right. So, um, Kelly Sexton, I want to thank you very much for for being a part yeah, of the thank podcast you. today. Um, we might have to do another one at some point so we can dive more into some of the other things that we had on our list. Yeah, it was, definitely. It was a good list. Yeah. Um, oh, um, I guess before I, before I leave, before I leave, um, I wanted to ask. So we did at the beginning talk about um, some you know mental health issues that you yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. And um, I guess can you how how are you managing that now? I, I think it would be kind of important for other people to hear. Like, what are some things that you're doing now to be able to manage it and go about your day-to-day? Okay. Um, well, this sounds, like, a little weird, sure. but avoidance and acknowledgement are okay. two things that I've kind of, like, embraced. Okay. So, acknowledgement of things that make me anxious and avoidance of those things. Um, acknowledging that... Um, certain things are going to make me anxious and that I can overcome that. Sure. Um, then embracing the fact that there are certain things I will not be able to overcome. Um, that there are certain scenarios that just make me uncomfortable and right. I don't need to make myself do them. Um, and nobody else needs to make me do them either. Right. Um, just having confidence in myself and feeling like I'm worth something. Right. Um, and that... You know, like I said, like this list of how things can go right and saying, you know, list of things that can go wrong. You can fuck off for now. I'll acknowledge that you're there, mm-hmm. but I need this list of things that can go right because mm-hmm. that's how I'm going to succeed in this. Like, that's what logically propels me forward. Right. Um, and so logic is a lot of it, um, which is like why I always go back to Bertrand Russell and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like it's very much. Um, how can I put myself in a better circumstance, um, to deal with this? And another thing is preparing for it. Um, the P before you leave mentality. (laughs) Um, I don't know, like if you do this, uh, but I go places without peeing and then I'll be super anxious about how I have to pee. Oh, <laughs> and then I'm just like, I'm just like, oh, like, and you're like looking around for the bathroom and you're like, you're, you're planning it ahead of time while you're talking to people. Right. Like, it's just not a good place to be. So plan ahead, you know, find out what makes you anxious, mm-hmm. um, plan ahead and like try to have backups for that. Um, 
you know, there's a story about these agoraphobics that got caught at a convention in an elevator mm. and the elevator stopped and they got stuck in the elevator. Yeah. All the agoraphobics that were in the elevator were completely prepared. They had like flashlights, like different things, their cell phones, you know, yeah. this and that, whatever. It didn't last long because everybody was so prepared. Um, so be prepared for situations like that, mm -hmm. you know, like I... I keep a knife and a flashlight and a couple other things in my backpack, like, or my purse, like, yeah. and it helps me. Like, you're just ready. I'm for ready for things. Whatever might happen. Yeah. Okay. Like, and just, so just, like, preparing yourself, making yourself ready before you leave the house, like, even, you know, if you're agoraphobic or whatever the deal is, um, just, like, prepping yourself. It's, like, prep work for anything. Like, even, you do prep work even when you get in the shower, you know, right. things like that. Like, you're just like, I'm going to set out my clothes for when I get out of the shower, right? Mm -hmm. Why don't we do that for other things in life? We should do sure. that for everything. Um, so prep work for that. Like, prep work emotionally, not just prep work physically. Right. So, yeah. Okay. And it sounds like, and that comes from a great deal of self-awareness and experience. Like, yeah, I mean. You have to go it, through the, a lot of that stuff. Yeah, and it's like, been okay, rough. I didn't like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's It's been a lot of trial and error. It's been a lot of, like, this works for me and this clearly doesn't. Um, mm -hmm. This worked for other people and it doesn't work for me. Um, you know, just finding, like, personally what's applicable. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the, I guess, what's the, obviously you want to feel good. Like, you want to be able to do things and not... Yeah. You know, run into a lot of turbulence and everything. Yeah. Like, what's what's a big driver in you? Like, what was the driver in you for getting to the point where you kind of figured that all out? Or um, I guess just, like, you're not helping anybody if you're just sitting in your house doing nothing. Right. Um, and so, for me, the driving factor was wanting to get other people's art out. Um, mm. That Brian Cherry guy. Yeah. This guy. Um, he, he wasn't published and I realized he was somebody that should be published. So I'd started a press, really? um, okay. and decided that that's how that was going to go. Yeah. Um, and so we got his book published and then it became a whole big thing. And my friend Kevin has helped me and, nice. you know, so it's been like, it's been a really good experience and it's, it's helped other people to become aware of his subjective reality through his mm -hmm. writing. And that makes me feel better. Right. You know, like just like helping other people makes me feel better. And I think it makes a lot of people feel better. Right. And when you have a job that is seemingly without purpose, sometimes it feels like you're not helping people, but like you are like your very existence, whether you realize it or not, is helping people. Mm -hmm. That's nice. Like yeah. That. Being here. But yeah. you have to be here. You have to be a part of it. You have, you have to, to be, be available too. To be like you have to answer those texts. You mm -hmm. have to answer those phone calls. You have to, yeah. you have to be present. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Before I leave, you want to do one more plug for your, for, uh, what you do? Yeah. Um, the quail press.com and anarcho welfare.com. You can pick up our books and, um, I have a book. A few new releases. My newest book that's out on Vegetarian Alcoholic Press is Dear Mr. Phillips. Thanks for the brandy. I hate what I've become. <laughs> um, it's got a few good poems in it. Um, sure. 
that you can check out online. But yeah, otherwise it's Vodka Mountain. Um, vegetarian Alcoholic Press is a pretty good one too. So check them out. <laughs> All right. Thank well, you. Thank you very much for, yeah. for, for let, inviting me in your home and being a part of this. Everybody else, thank you very much for watching. And I don't know how to close these things. Have a good <laughs> night. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> hey.